We've been talking about the subject of forgiveness. We've talked about the holiness of God. We've talked about the character of God and that the heart of God is mercy and that the heart of God is to forgive because where forgiveness is, there is life and opportunity for redemption. Where unforgiveness is, there is death and people who un, uh, who refuse to forgive are locking themselves and uh, trying to lock others into a pattern of hopelessness that brings the fruit of death. So the Lord is very, very clear about the fact that he will not forgive those who do not forgive. For years, all my life, uh, I've had the idea that that was just some kind of judicial decision God was making that if I didn't forgive, he wouldn't forgive. That it, I never said it like this, but it's in my mind it was something like this, that if you're going to be mean to them, I'll be mean to you. But that never fit. That never seemed to be right because God's not mean and God's not ever looking for a chance to be mean and he's not just petty and he's not uh, just giving tit for tat. What the Lord was saying, and the, I, I realize this more and more as, as we deal with people, in this area of unforgiveness, what the Lord is saying is, listen, I am the, the most offended of all beings in the universe, and yet I am the fountainhead of forgiveness. The reason I forgive is because where forgiveness is flowing, there's opportunity and possibility for healing and restoration and life, and God is primarily interested in life, not death. So basically what the Lord is saying is, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. You have, to, you have to think of the word forgiveness in this sense. To forgive, what does it mean? What, is the, what does the word mean? Forgive. What is your forearm? It's the front of your arm. What are your forebearers? They're the ones who were living before you. They went before you. So what is forgiveness? This is one of those rare occasions where the English word translated from the Greek word uh, is actually more clear in the English than it is in the Greek. To forgive means to give first. It means to, to offer life first, to be the one who holds mercy and love out first. And we are to hold forgiveness out in front of us. That's something that Mary has said all the years that I've known her is uh, we must hold forgiveness out in front of us, not drag it behind us as an afterthought, but hold it in front of us as our uh, our nature as Christians, as Jesus flows his life through us. So to forgive means to give first. So the Lord is saying, if you forgive others, then I can forgive you. In other words, as you let life flow through you, I will supply you with more life in order for life to eventually overrun this death-dealing situation. But if you stop giving, then I'll have to stop giving because I'm not going to energize with my blessing your refusal to bless. I will not supply you with energy when you refuse to give to others. So in Matthew chapter 18, we have a clear and very, uh, very strong picture of the heart of the Lord on this subject. You know, another way to, to look at what forgiveness means, to forgive means to untie. It means to loose. It means to set free. 
just like Clay is saying, but in a different sense, it's loosing someone into their full life. Loosing someone who has been bound with your unforgiveness toward them. So keep in mind these different concepts of of developing the kind of character where you carry forgiveness out in front of you to where when something happens and you're injured or betrayed or rejected or hurt, you're prepared in advance by practicing the presence, so to speak, of forgiveness as depicted in the passion of Christ, as depicted by God Almighty himself, as revealed through Jesus. So we're to to untie and to let loose the captive that's held by our unforgiveness. And of course, this has to do with the real meaning of binding and loosing, which we have addressed in uh, a number of other lectures, so we won't go into that uh, in great detail here. But you need to understand that binding and loosing has very little to do with demons. It has much more to do with loosing people. Uh, Have you ever had a binding contract? Have you ever sought to be loosed from a contract? Have you ever had someone refuse to loose you? Well, they wouldn't forgive the contract. Now, in that terminology, we seem to grasp it with no trouble. But put it in a religious or spiritual context, and we get all kind of strange ideas about what it means to bind and loose. But basically, when Jesus speaks of it in Matthew 18, he's talking about the fact that when we don't loose others, uh, we're, we're binding them with our unforgiveness, that there's bondage all around. When we do loose them, then there's freedom all around. Uh, Matthew 18 goes on to say that when we don't loose people, we are in, in danger of being delivered over to torment. There certainly is emotional and spiritual torment and even sexual and relational torment because of unforgiveness. Well, there's several basic reasons why we don't forgive. Uh, I think the first reason is that we have not paid close enough attention, attention to all the things that we've just been talking about in the previous two lectures. If we were to grasp those principles, many of these things that we're going to talk about in this closing tape would be unnecessary because they would be dealt with by the reality of the presence of God in our lives uh, that would uh, flow through and wash these things out. But since many of us, myself included, have a hard time living up to the standard of the truth that we've been talking about because of our fallenness and our continued need for grace and healing, let's point out some of these other areas that keep us from truly forgiving. The, the second reason, beside the one that we've already been talking about, the barrier to forgiving others uh, because of failure to comprehend the depths of what we've already been discussing, what are some of the other things that keep us from forgiving? Well, the first one I would mention here is that most of us live out of touch with our real feelings. Most of us are so busy, so active, so full of activity, so easily distracted from paying attention to our inner world that we don't even know what we feel. If someone was to ask you if you're angry or if you're hurt or if you're bitter, you would check with your mind and go down the roster of your immediate uh, uh, conscious issues and based on that shallow estimation come up with the answer, no, I'm not upset about anything. Forgetting the clear warning of Scripture to watch over your heart with all diligence Proverbs 4 says, for out of your heart come the forces that are controlling your behavior. 
Jeremiah chapter 17 says, The heart is deceitful and desperately crooked. Who can know it? Unless the Holy Spirit is given an opportunity to show us what's going on inside of us by our learning to be still and learning to contemplate and listen to God and examine ourselves in his presence, not in some introspective fleshly way, but in prayer and with the Holy Spirit searchlight moving through us, we may not ever know. We may live our whole lives not being aware of what's going on inside of us and therefore stay in a sense, uh, in a state of unforgiveness for years and years. You know, it's real important in this context to think about, too, that if you're out of touch with your heart and you have this vague idea that when you gave your life to Christ, he forgave you all your sins and it's kind of a said and done deal and you're just kind of living along. There's not anybody that you really need to forgive. You did all that when you gave your life to Christ. And that's such a a convoluted, shallow, shallow concept of the work of the cross that is supposed to be real and alive every day to us. Every day we're to be renewed in the face of Jesus Christ. We're to be renewed in our own characters out of love and service to a God that we adore and we have a relationship with. So if we're out of touch with our heart, there may be a part of us that thinks that we have forgiven when we really haven't, where we've dealt with specific issues when really maybe we even haven't even thought about them. Like Clay said, we've been too busy, we're too caught up in the daily routine of life day in and day out, and we don't take the time to pull aside and consider who we are, if our hearts have become cold or hard or dead or or just pulled back and away in a state of sin that needs to be held open to the Lord and also in the with the light of the Holy Spirit shining in there to show us who we've hurt, who we need to reach out and forgive. Maybe it's our own self that we need to forgive. It's important to be in touch enough with yourself to know when you have sinned and pulled back from the Lord, for the Holy Spirit to be in such a relationship with you that He, that He's able to shine that into your, your conscious mind that you can be convicted of that and say, Lord, I've got to forgive myself for letting my heart grow cold. I need to forgive myself for, uh, waxing cold, as the scripture says. And you know, it's nothing but pride that says, I can't forgive myself. That's something that uh, I run across more times than I can name. People thinking they're being humble or being spiritual by saying, you know, I know God's forgiven me, but I just have a hard time forgiving myself. Well, in other words, you're greater than God. You're better than God. You're wiser than God. See the pride in that? There's no real spirituality in maintaining an attitude of unforgiveness towards yourself. You failed. Welcome to the human race. You uh, you found yourself lacking, welcome to the human race. You found yourself in need of a Savior, welcome to the human race. Uh, join the rest of us and uh, begin to learn to celebrate your inadequacy and uh, you'll find there's more grace in your life than you ever dreamed possible. And forgiving yourself, this is where you get the strength when you do fall and when you do sin to get up and keep going towards Jesus and not turn and run away from him. Uh, so often in our Christian life, when we fall, we stay down. And we somehow get the idea that we just can't do it. And the truth of it is that this is where uh, the ability 
for us to forgive ourselves for our failures. Uh, we receive that forgiveness for ourselves. See, this is connected to what we just really talked about on the last tape. But they're so close. And so many people think that, well, my goodness, you know, I don't need to forgive myself for anything. Well, you do. Your true self is always at odds with your false self. You are always in a struggle to incorporate and to live out that life of Christ that is incarnational, that uh, that place in you where you have your home with him. And it's always the source of your strength and a place of where you can have your will strengthened to be able to say, I forgive me. I forgive me. I'm going to get up out of this ditch and go right on towards Jesus, confess my sin, and receive that forgiveness from him. Sometimes when we don't do that, it's actually a covert uh, attempt to find an excuse to go backwards. So be very wary of what seems like a humility that is actually nothing more than an attempt to say, I tried, I'm just so pitiful, I can't do it. I've tried to walk with the Lord, and I failed the Lord so bad that I guess I just need to go have a party and get drunk and wallow in my flesh. Baloney. Get up and get back in the center of uh, things with the Lord and uh, recognize your need. Anyway, let's go on to the next reason why people don't forgive. Religious denial would be our next reason. What do we mean by religious denial? Well, we, I think we know what denial is. But people who have a Christian background can really have an, a more difficult time coming out of denial than other people. Because somehow they have the idea that if, if, if spirituality is involved in it, then it, uh, there just can't be any possibility of having some unknown area of the unconscious that has not been brought to the light. But the fact is we Christians tend to live maybe in more denial than non-Christians. A lady walked up to me and Mary in a conference in a southern city a few years ago <clears throat> after hearing us teach on the need to allow your anger to come fully up and to experience that anger and not to push it down in, in the name of some kind of false spirituality. When you've been badly hurt or wounded or betrayed, we're certainly not suggesting that you go try to take revenge. That's obviously not of God. But it is very important for you to be allowed to be given space to, to cry, to hurt, to feel, to talk it through, to, to pray it through, to get angry, to feel your feelings. That's all very important. And uh, when people jump too quickly on other people and say, you you got to forgive now, make sure you forgive before they give them a chance to even feel fully how deep they need to forgive because they've not been allowed to feel how deeply they've been betrayed, then the true heart-level issue is cut short, and they end up going up into the head and putting on a smiling false face of religious sanctimonious uh, uh, false forgiveness. Well, we taught on that. A few minutes after I stepped off the platform, a lady walked up to me and Mary. Her face was as red as a beet. Her pulse was up. Her breath was, was shallow, and she was really fuming. She said, I'm so angry I could spit fire. I said, well, I can see that. What's the matter? She said, for 10 years, I've been trying to play the game you just got through describing. My, my best friend ran away with my husband. 
my husband uh, betrayed me. My best friend betrayed me. All the people in my prayer group immediately jumped on me that I better immediately forgive. And, and they, they didn't let me grieve. They didn't let me cry. They didn't even let me talk about it adequately. And, and I just stuffed my feelings and put on this smiley face. And she said, now after 10 years, the, the pus is boiling up out of the, of, of, the, of the infection in me, and I just feel like I could kill. Well, it was important for her to be able to say that, and it was important for her to be able to feel her feelings. It was important for us to be able to sit with her, be angry with her in a righteous way. She was betrayed. What was done to her was evil. God was angry at what was done to her, and she needed to know that the Lord was angry on her behalf. And there was a great release. It took a while. It was not something she just popped off to us about in a few minutes after a meeting, and then she was okay. It took her a number of weeks to work through the unfinished emotional business that she had short-circuited by trying to be unrealistic in her spirituality. That's religious denial. Well, the next reason why some people don't forgive is when the offense seems to be petty. We have a dear friend who a few years ago went to the doctor to find that she had, at the age of 35, contracted the beginnings of what was going to be, according to the doctor's diagnosis, a very painful case of rheumatoid arthritis. She came home to talk to her husband about it, and they immediately went into prayer. Her husband said, uh, Connie, is there anything that you know of in your life, any unforgiveness or bitterness? She searched her heart and could think of nothing, but he said, well, let's pray anyway and ask the Lord. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse about uh, verse 4, I think, uh, he said, I, or 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he said, I know of nothing by which my heart is, is convicted of sin, but I am not the source of all truth and, and information. In other words, you ask the Lord. You don't just assume based on your feelings. And immediately in prayer, up came the face of a young lady that Connie had gone to high school with. She hadn't seen her in almost 20 years. But she said, Lord, is this something I need to pray about? And it seemed to imply Yes, this is exactly what you need to pray about. This young woman had been her arch rival in high school. They had run track together. They had played girls volleyball and girls foot, uh, girls uh, uh, basketball and and various other things. And in every area of their uh, lives together in sports, this young woman always beat Connie. She always won the race. Always came out ahead. Always got the the gold ribbon instead of the, the secondary place. Unconsciously for years, Connie had held a grudge against this girl. She said, Lord, I, I just had no idea this was still in my heart, but I ask you to forgive me, and I forgive this woman in Jesus' name. Well, that seemed to be all there was to it. But several days later, they happened to be in a meeting, uh, a worship meeting, not at their home church, but in another church in the area. And Connie happened to look across the aisle out of the corner of her eye, and lo and behold, there was this girl who she had not seen in nearly 20 years, who as far as she knew lived on the other side of the United States. She was standing there worshiping the Lord, and Connie's first reaction was, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? What, what am I supposed to do? 
She knew she needed to go to this young woman. She knew that this was a supernatural continuation of what the Lord had begun in dealing with her heart. But she had considered this to be so petty, such a childish, unimportant thing, going all the way back to adolescence, just an adolescent attitude that anybody should have outgrown by now, that she was not willing or prepared to face the fact of the the very deep spiritual nature of this problem. I'll make a long story short. The woman put down her child and handed her infant to a to what we found out later was a total stranger and went to the altar. Connie had said, Lord, if she goes to the altar, I'll go pray with her. Well, she figured she would not go to the altar since she had an arm full of children. But there she went right to the altar and Connie slid right into the altar next to her. They embraced before the Lord and prayed. Come to find out the Holy Spirit had been dealing with this other woman's heart about her superior and arrogant attitude toward Connie. All these years, both these women, Christian women, loving God, but having a seed of arrogance on the one hand and a seed of unforgiveness and bitterness on the other. And Hebrews chapter 12 says we must see to it that seeds of bitterness do not spring up and take root in us because a root of bitterness defiles many. When we don't forgive others, we not only defile ourselves, but we wound and injure the one that we refuse to forgive. And then they become wounded, and they spread the same disease if they're not prayerful and watchful about it. You know, we somehow think that a passage passage of time takes care of things. That, you know, if enough time goes by, that little hurt will... I'll just kind of forget about it, and I won't feel it so much, and it'll be taken care of. Well, that's not what the Scripture says. The only thing that heals, the only thing that redeems, the only thing that truly changes something is uh, repentance and the blood of Christ. It's so important to uh, recognize there is nothing too petty. There is nothing uh, too insignificant. There is uh, no slight wrong kind of feeling or wrong motive in in acting a certain way towards a person that uh, just kind of fades away and it's just okay because time has gone by. No, we need to be aware and not go digging around in our hearts and see if, well, my goodness, uh, who knows what's in there? No, you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things that might be there that you might need to deal with and ask forgiveness for. And this is where you apply the blood of Christ and you ask uh, that forgiveness be applied to that person or to that situation or whatever it is that the Lord may be bringing to your heart. Well, let's move on to the next category. The next reason why people don't forgive even though they're Christians and want to forgive, is when they don't seem to really know what's wrong. They've tried. They've prayed the right prayers. They've done everything consciously they know to do. But still, there's some root anger or rage or hurt that seems to rise up from out of nowhere, causing heartache and pain over and over Uh, Mary and I prayed with a a couple in Great Britain a few years ago, fine, godly couple, lovely people. 
But uh, there was a root of anger in this man's life that he could not seem to get to the bottom of. And uh, as uh, he shared with us, uh, one of the most difficult and painful moments of his life was when he and his wife were driving down the motorway and uh, she was looking at the map. And as is so often the case with married couples, this can be a source of terrible contention because of the different ways that the masculine and the feminine mind work. But uh, the fact is that this went way beyond that normal interaction that husbands and wives have sometimes uh, in that uh, the man just became frustrated with his wife and uh, The more frustrated he became, the more insecure and frustrated she became until finally uh, she just dropped the map and she said, well, just forget it. You just take care of it yourself. And before he knew what he'd done, he had slapped his wife in a moment of rage and illogical, irrational anger. Well, they were both heartbroken over the situation, the wife being a, a loving and godly woman who was willing to to forgive her husband and try to get the help they needed to get to the bottom of the problem. And that's why we were meeting together, to get to the bottom of the problem. Well, we didn't know where to start. This is why, thank God for the presence of the Holy Spirit. But as we begin to pray and seek the Lord, the Holy Spirit began to put his finger on a memory. Now, the healing of memories is the forgiveness of sins. When we talk about healing of memories, we're talking about either receiving forgiveness or forgiving someone else. And so this man began to share with us as the memory began to come up vividly of something that happened when he was barely three years old. He had been stricken with a childhood disease. I think it was scarlet fever, but it was a very serious disease, one that required that he be isolated from the rest of his family. As we were praying for the Holy Spirit to show us the root of this rejection and why he would react to his wife's declaration that she was just going to let him take care of it all by himself and and uh, so forth, he said he was so taken by the memory, it was almost like he was reliving it right in our presence. There he was in an isolation chamber in the hospital, and here come his mom and his dad and and, and the rest of the family Now, what would you do as an adult if your little boy was in an isolation chamber? You might be heartbroken over it. You might be really desiring to get your arms around him again. But you're going to yield to the wisdom of the medical professionals, and you're going to go in, and what are you going to do? You're going to put on your best face. You're going to try to look happy. You're going to try to cheer him up by looking cheerful yourself, aren't you? But in the mind of a little two-year-old, He, or three-year-old, he thought, Mommy and Daddy have come to make fun of me. They're laughing at me. They've abandoned me. I'm here all by myself in this place. And they're going in here, and they're waving at me and laughing at me, and then they're leaving me. Day after day, they're doing this. And the rage and the pain of rejection grew and grew and grew in him. He remembered as he sat there with us, years later, how often his father would make the remark, you know, after you came out of the hospital, son, you were a different person. You were a different little boy. You weren't ever as warm toward us as you were before you went in the hospital. 
they blew it off, didn't think much about it, which is so often the case with people. They don't pay attention to the very things that might be the very issue they need to look at. But to make a long story short, we ask the Lord to come into that memory. We ask the Holy Spirit to minister to the little boy heart that's still in the heart the chest of this now 50-year-old man. We ask the Lord to heal that wound. We ask him to uh, help this young, this man forgive his parents. Had his parents purposely sinned against him? No, not at all. But sometimes we don't forgive people because they've done something consciously wrong. We forgive them because of how we perceive what they've done to us. And he had perceived that his parents were rejecting him and mocking him. And then all these years later, that perception, that wrong perception of being mocked and rejected and abandoned came through his heart again when his wife said to him, they're on the motorway, here, you just do it yourself. I won't even try to help you anymore. All that that statement brought into uh, constellation in his mind all of this unconscious rage at being abandoned and rejected. This was a tremendous healing and a tremendous step forward for the intimacy of their marriage relationship. You know, another good example under this uh, reason why we don't forgive in not knowing what is wrong is from Leanne's life of uh, when she was sitting in a, in a meeting one time and they were doing healing of memories. And when they got to the age of three, she had the memory come up about her dreaming about looking for her father, uh, lifting up coffins and looking for her father. And the Lord said, forgive your father for dying. Well, she immediately obeyed the voice of the Lord and forgave him and later find, found out that when a child has lost a parent, either to death or uh, there's been a divorce or rejection, that the child perceives that as uh, a sin against them. It, they perceive it as rejection. So sometimes, as a child especially, our perception of reality is what we need to deal with, not so much reality itself in the sense that what we have interpreted it to be, we have projected uh, our own uh, way of looking at life onto it. In the case of, of uh, a child, in the case of, of where Leanne's father had died, forgiving her father for dying set her free in that she was able to let her father go. She was able to uh, let go of that need to keep looking for him and have have a connection there. Well, the next category is one that I wish we had a little more time to talk about. We'll only be able to mention it briefly here, but it's so important and so very much a part of this issue of forgiveness. That is when the suffering is causing us to be in grief instead of anger. Now, what I mean by that is most of us tend to think of an issue that needs to be forgiven as something that makes us angry. Well, we're angry. We need to forgive him because we feel angry. But in my own life, I began to learn a few years ago that an ongoing source of pain in me, which I did not perceive as anger, I perceived it as grief, 
I perceived it as a, a, a heartache that was brought on by the loss of a very meaningful relationship with very, very, very dear friends of, of mine. Uh, uh, every time we would pass the part of town they lived in, Mary would sense uh, the pain going through my body. And one day she reached over and took my hand and she, as we passed this part of town and she said, it still hurts, doesn't it? I said, well, yeah, it really does. Sometimes it just really, really hurts. She said, well, have you forgiven them? Well, that seemed like such a strange question to me. And, of course, pride can rise up and say, well, of course I've forgiven them. My goodness, we teach on this all the time. Of course I've forgiven them. Well, any kind, anytime you say, of course, you're probably in trouble because it shows that you're probably operating in your head instead of your heart. But the fact was, Mary had touched on a very important issue, and the Lord was speaking through her. I got alone with the Lord later on that day, and I said, Lord, could it be that I have actually not forgiven these people? And the Lord said, because uh, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I don't feel any unforgiveness. If anything, I wish I could just hug them. I wish I could just... I wish I could hold them in my arms and, and let them know, I love you. I'm sorry for how we've hurt one another over the years. I wish I could rebuild what was broken and what was lost. There was tears would come to my eyes repeatedly at the thought of, of them. And the Lord said, you know, son, forgiveness doesn't just mean letting people be loosed from anger. It means letting them go in any situation of life where there is ongoing pain. Let them go. Give them to me. Release them to me now. And there in that quiet moment, I had an experience of a deep healing in my own heart uh, that I didn't even know I needed. I didn't even know it was possible to uh, to, to pray this way. It may sound strange to some of you, but uh, in those quiet moments before the Lord, I had to say goodbye to memories. I had to say goodbye to earthly hopes. I had to come to the point of recognizing that if I never see their faces again before the coming of the Lord, that it's going to be okay. That my love for them uh, can go right on. And if their love for me does not go right on, if they choose to uh, continue to, to cut me off, that that doesn't mean I have to cut them off, and that though it may hurt, it does not have to shape me. Now, this is something we need to understand. Pain can still be in our heart after we forgive someone, but the pain no longer deforms us once we have forgiven, once we have proclaimed to the Lord verbally, Father, I forgive, I release, I give this up, to you and I give I release them from any uh, responsibility in the name of Jesus the moment you say that it may take your heart several days or weeks or even months to catch up with the confession of your mouth but you still proclaim that forgiveness uh, and the moment you do the mending begins in your heart well that brings us to this final category of why Christians don't forgive sometimes and this is the most difficult one to deal with of all. And that is, sometimes we don't forgive because we think the sin is unforgivable. 
a number of years ago when I was pastoring and just beginning to learn how to move in this kind of healing ministry. I spoke on a Sunday morning to the new congregation that I had come to serve on the subject of Matthew chapter 18, the, the, the whole chapter there on unforgiveness. And I finished what I thought was a pretty normal pastoral sermon on the subject. And I, was, I was walking out the side door, a young lady in the congregation who I had not yet met walked up to me and without introducing herself, looked me in the eye and said, you know, I'm kind of fed up with all these sermons I hear on, on stuff like this. I don't really care about hearing this kind of stuff over and over. If this is what it's going to be like, I think I'll just find another church. Well, I had no idea why she was reacting the way she did. She walked out the door. But in a few days uh, from then, I got an emergency phone call from her family. To make a long story short, she had collapsed in an emotional breakdown. She had come in and uh, had some kind of confrontation with her little six-year-old child. Her husband had come in later and found the child over in a corner crying. His wife curled up in a fetal position under the kitchen table. And a little wooden, practically a toy, baseball bat, that her, uh, that her husband had bought for her son. But she had protested the buying of this little bat. He went ahead and bought it anyway, not really understanding his wife's strange reaction. We sat together and asked the Holy Spirit to come and help help us get to the bottom of it. I looked this woman in the face and uh, I said to her, are you ready now to tell me why you were so angry at me Sunday? Why the subject of forgiveness is so, so unbearable for you? She could hardly look at me. It was very painful. Telling this story is difficult to this day for this reason. I'm having to tell you in a matter of minutes something that actually took in its initial inception uh, a couple of hours and then unfolded over a period of nearly eight months, almost nine months. But to make a, lo a long story as short as I possibly can without damaging the story, let me just tell you that what began to unfold in my study that day with this woman was one of the most painful and difficult cases of ritual abuse, sexual abuse and torture that I have ever run across in this ministry at the hands of her father and also at the hands of some of her father's friends, one of them who turned out to be a pastor of a local church. Now, uh, at the initial encounter, when I looked her in the face and I, I said to her, we'll, we'll call her Patricia, I said, Patricia, uh, do you understand that if you, if you can't deal honestly with this issue, Whatever is eating at you, you may end up hurting your little boy. You may end up hurting your own husband. Well, of course, when she realized that that was true, and she already knew that that was true before I ever said it, she began to, to weep. And she, she said, I, I don't know how to talk about this. I don't know who to turn to. You've got to remember people who have been damaged like this have an unbelievably heavy load of fear and shame and, and uh, uh, un, unreasonable fear of rejection uh, that has grown in them over the years. You've got to remember, when a child has been abused or hurt, the, the, the part of that child that is wounded ceases to mature. So I had in front of me a 37-year-old woman, at that time a uh, 33 33-year-old woman, who uh, was so horribly damaged by the man who should have been her protector.
that uh, she could barely talk about it. But I said, Patricia, let me ask you this. And I know you, you're not yet ready to talk about the details, but can you pray this prayer with me? And then I said this prayer, Lord, help Patricia begin as slight as the beginning may be to pull the curtain back and bear these things to you, Lord, and help her begin to be willing to let you in and be willing to forgive. She said, I don't want to forgive any of them. I'd like to kill them all. I said, I understand that. That's perfectly understandable because I already could discern we were headed toward very deep waters concerning abuse. I knew whatever had happened to her was terrible. But I said to her, at least can you pray, Patricia, Lord, make me willing to become willing. Can you pray that much? She said, I can pray that. Thank God she could pray that because you need to understand a person who's unwilling to pray that cannot be helped at all. And so she began to pray, Lord, and I won't quote how she prayed. You've got to understand, uh, this is a very well-educated, sweet woman. But it was so strange <coughs> to see the, the, the anger, the matter-of-fact cursing coming out of her mouth. as She said, God, you know that I hate the no-good blankety-blank. And I wish he would, would uh, be alive so I could kill him. But Lord, uh, I know if I don't get some help, I may hurt the ones I love. So I ask you to help me. And that was the end of our first encounter. Night after night, she began to be awakened with the nightmares as the memories, which she would not allow to come up consciously, began to force their way up unconsciously in the dream world. Her husband would wake up and find her with butcher knives in her hand, or find her out in the yard, or find her in the closet. Now, let me add here, we're fully aware that there are people who are uh, emotional hypochondriacs, uh, especially nowadays with the stupid and ridiculous talk shows that propagate all kinds of uh, uh, weird and, and strange testimonies. Uh, and there are many, many sick people out there with no life uh, of any consequence and all they do is sit and devour that kind of thing and then make up all kind of symptoms that they themselves have trying to find identity. Now, such people as that are just as much in need of love and ministry as a person who has truly been tortured. And it's, it's going to take education and it's going to take wisdom and it's going to take the anointing of the Holy Spirit to know how to tell the difference between a person who is truly uh, a former abuse victim and a person who is simply mentally unstable and trying to get attention by making up stories. Patricia's testimony was so heinous. The crimes committed against her by her father were so evil, so horrible, that I began to really wrestle with whether she was telling me the truth or not. But uh, one night the Lord gave me a dream, and in the dream I saw uh, aspects of the room where this crime had taken place i got up the next morning and i made some notes and then i went into my session with patricia and i said could you just give me some information here about the room and where it happened how it happened and where it happened and she began to describe in the exact detail paralleling everything that the lord had showed me the room and uh details about the room the lord gave several other supernatural evidences to confirm to me that this woman is, in fact, everything she claims to be, and that what happened to her really did happen to her. 
And that was very helpful. Now, I can tell you that the Lord hadn't always given me such supernatural uh, evidence. And uh, I, w- I wish he would. And I don't know why he doesn't. But the fact is, as we grow in this kind of ministry, the Lord doesn't always give us the same kind of gifts uh, that we were dependent on to begin with because he wants us dependent on him and always listening to him. But uh, as we went on and progressed through, I won't go into all the details concerning the tragic mistreatment that this woman suffered. We've since then ministered to many, many, many people, both men and women, who were uh, treated uh, shamefully and, and uh, disgustingly and uh, in, in such an evil way. But in ministering to them, one of the keys the Lord gave me, especially in ministering to Patricia, was when I was trying to get her to forgive. And, of course, every time she would lock up. She, would, she couldn't pray the prayer to forgive her father. And I said to her one day, or the Lord said to me one day, Son, don't you understand? She thinks you mean that she should drop the charges against her father. She's misinterpreting the meaning of forgiveness here. She has the wrong idea. She thinks if she forgives him, that that means he will not have to face my judgment for what he did to her. And that's not what forgiveness means at all. And, and then the Lord brought to mind and uh, a friend of ours, Pastor Jerry Qualls uh, in the Norfolk area, um, has a good teaching on this subject too. Uh, from First Peter, where Peter makes the statement to slaves uh, that uh, slaves are to commit themselves to the one who judges righteously. Slaves being subject to any kind of, uh, any numbers of kinds of mistreatment, from rape to murder. Uh, Peter says, you must know that the judge of all the earth will do right by you. And uh, Peter doesn't just call on them to carte blanche, forgive their abusers, but to recognize that God is the judge and he will bring vengeance. Paul also uh, makes the statement uh, concerning Alexander and Hymenaeus. He says, they did me great wrong. May the Lord reward them according to their works. You don't see Paul saying, well, I forgive them in the sense that we're just going to play like it didn't happen. There is a place in the economy of God, folks, where evil has to be called before the judgment seat of God and has to be dealt with in, uh, in righteousness. When we say to a horribly abused person that they need to forgive, what we're saying to them is not that they're to drop all charges and love their abuser and uh, try to conjure up all kind of warm feelings for their abuser. <clears throat> not at all. What we're saying is they must yield their desire for vengeance to the hands of the only one who has the power to bring just judgment, and that's God. And if we don't, we will become as evil as the evil we are refusing to forgive. I always try to tell people, if they can't grasp this concept, just go watch Ben-Hur. Most highly honored motion picture in history, and rightly so, because there's never been a motion picture that communicates the truth any better, especially on this very subject we're talking about here. You become what you hate. You become the very thing that you refuse to forgive. Now, after we had worked and worked with Patricia for a number of months, and she was able to begin to make progress, and I was able to show her that forgiving her father did not mean that there would be no judgment, that God would not bring uh, her father to just judgment, 
but that she was not the judge. When she saw that, she was able to pray the prayer through gritted teeth. She was able to say, Father, I forgive the no good, blankety blank. She literally prayed it that way. Well, I want to tell you, sometimes when a wounded person is screaming up at God or cursing, they may be closer to real prayer than a sanctimonious, uh, pious Pharisee sitting on a church pew saying all the right words, but their heart's far from God. Oswald Chambers says, a man screaming out in pain or rage at God is much closer to the kingdom of God because he's speaking from a true heart as honestly as he knows how. He may be much closer to the kingdom of God than someone sitting in a church singing hymns. And so here in this moment, she says, God, I forgive and then she speaks her father's name. Now, she never would call her father father. She called him by his first name. She said, I forgive Robert. And there was an immediate change in her countenance. And we began to see great progress from that day forward. <clears throat> but one day, about a week later, after I had ceased seeing her except once a week, she burst in my office and she walked around my desk and looked me straight in the face and she said, I want to know one thing. Where was Jesus when I was being treated like that? And I had the strangest sensation of another who lives in me rising up on the inside of me and standing up and looking her right back in the face. And I heard myself say, now notice what I heard myself say, because this is not what I would have chosen to say in my own natural thinking. I heard myself say, I'll tell you where Jesus was. He was hanging on a cross between heaven and earth, dying to forgive your father. I would have never said, forgive your father. I would have said, dying to forgive you. But those words seemed to strike her right in the, the core of her soul. She realized that she was capable of being just as cruel, just as perverse as her father had become. She had already seen it in action in the initial event that caused us to eventually come to the point of praying with her for healing, the way she treated her little boy. By the way, the broken baseball bat was because one of the instruments of torture that her father had used on her was a small miniature baseball bat. It was actually that bat that began to resurrect the memories and cause them to come to the surface. So she heard me say Jesus hung there between heaven and earth to forgive her father. And she seemed to be satisfied with that answer. She turned and walked away, walked out the door. I didn't see her again for another several days. But when she finally came back, she walked into my office and said, I want to thank you for all the support that you've given. I came to say goodbye. And I thought, well, she's leaving the church. What's happening? She said, no, I'm not leaving the church. I'm saying goodbye to you as a counselor. I don't need to see you anymore. I just wish my father could have been alive long enough to have gotten the help that I've gotten. Well, since that time, I have watched her grow and grow and grow in grace and wisdom and strength and in ministry to other people. The wounds are, have not disappeared, but they no longer shape her. They no longer deform her. Months later, after I saw continued progress in her life, I asked her a question one day. I said, how, how were you able to finally release 
the the terrible pain and 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 let go of it so that it no longer shaped you. And she had learned the lesson. She said, I couldn't do it. It's not possible for me to forgive what my father did to me. What he did was unforgivable. But I don't have the power to forgive. Another had to come into me and do it. Another in me forgave my father. Well, Corey Ten Boom tells a very similar story of after her release from Robin's book, Death Camp in World War II, where her sister died at the hands of Nazi torturers. She got up to speak one night in a meeting in Munich, and out in the audience, there in the audience was one of the men who was uh, one of the guards at the death camp. She, of course, was not recognized by him. She had just been one of a thousand other women, but she fully recognized his face. Her topic that night was forgiveness. How in the world is she going to speak on forgiveness? But she cried out to God for help. She cried out for Jesus to come and manifest his wisdom and power through her. And she was actually able to take that man's hand and shake his hand when he said to her, not knowing who she was, Madam, thank you for your message tonight. I desperately need to hear about forgiveness. You don't know the terrible things I've done. I'd like to read to you uh, as we bring this message to a close before we go into prayer. Something else that was found in Robin's Brook, Death Camp. Oz Guinness tells this in one of his writings, and I quote, When the Allied troops liberated the Robin's Brook concentration camp in 1945, they stumbled onto the indescribable horror of the Nazi Moloch machine in which 92,000 women and children had died. But they also came across signs of unquenchable faith. The following words were found written on a piece of wrapping paper near the body of a dead child. The words were these. O Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not only remember the suffering they have inflicted on us. Remember the fruits we brought thanks to this suffering. Our comradeship, our loyalty, our humility the courage, the generosity, the greatness of heart which has grown out of all this evil. And when they come before your judgment, let all the fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. Amen. The whole message of the gospel, folks, is that the worst that ever happened to us in Christ becomes the best that ever happened to us. The worst thing that ever happened on the face of the earth was the murder, the betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own free will. And of my own free will, I take it up again. The cross is the place of evil. The cross is the place where evil is destroyed. The cross is the place of death. The cross is the place where death is killed. The cross is where we take our pain. The worst thing that ever happened to you or to me 
when we bring it to the Lord Jesus Christ, becomes a source of healing power so that nothing the enemy has done to us or to others that we love can ultimately be for evil. If Christ is in it, it gets turned for good. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you now. We bring all our needs before you concerning forgiveness. Those needs, Father, to receive forgiveness, to believe that we're forgiven. Those needs, Father, where we need to forgive ourselves. And, Father, where we need to forgive others, especially, Lord, we ask you to come and reveal yourself to us. Father, the whole point of you on that cross and Calvary and your shed blood rests upon this very thing of us understanding and incorporating. You commanded us to forgive, and it pours out of your love for us, which pours out of your holiness, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, for those of us that need to be made willing to forgive, to start this journey, that you would open our hearts and enable us to set our wills toward that. We ask you, Lord, to open our hearts to receive forgiveness, to truly come to a solid understanding that you are our rock of ages, that you are perfect and just and holy, and we can trust you and trust your love for us and receive forgiveness. Help us to have a true picture of ourself, Lord, that we can celebrate our weakness, that we can celebrate our inadequacy, and that we can look up to you and see in the face of you our redemption. Father, the cross stands outside of time and space. It can go back to something many years past, or it can come present to the, to the present moment. We ask you, Lord, even now, in the lives of everyone listening, that you would begin healing of memories for those that need that progression in their lives, to be able to take that journey with you by the power of your Spirit and together with your Spirit. Let those things come up and into your light that need the healing work of forgiveness. Father, I ask for those who need to confess sin. Maybe they've never confessed anything specifically. That that true confession would come forth, Lord. And they would be able to fall on their knees and confess a sin that maybe they've even hid from their own uh, understanding that they've even been in denial about. Holy Spirit, come. Help us to understand that forgiveness is the very hinge of our relationship with you. That because you loved us so much, you sent us Jesus, who bore on the cross and in his body our very sin. Father, forgive us our sins and help us to forgive those who sin against us. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to share and talk about this subject. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to illumine the hearts of each one listening. That even deeper than their minds, that there would come a great realization of your love through Jesus Christ. Amen.